Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. We're all super glad that you enjoyed part one of the series. Yes, absolutely. So this is an incredibly difficult story to tell and we are really going to see that this week. It is, but it is one of those stories that just like, it needs to be told. And not just because some of us desperately want to understand how someone could possibly be this evil, but because this man could walk free as early as next year. So we want to have you guys keep that in mind during this episode. <laughs> And speaking of this episode, by now you already know that for some of you, this could be a really rough series, but this episode is going to be talking about some really horrific murders. We made a decision together that we're not going to be giving the full details of the murders due to the fact that there were just children that were the victims, but even the details that we're going to share will, like, shock and disgust you. It's awful. And with that being said, we are still accepting your palate cleanser episode suggestions. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, a palate cleanser episode is just a lighter-hearted topic that will cover usually after a particularly brutal case or series, so we want to know what you guys want us to do an episode on. Send us your suggestions either on Twitter or send them to us at thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. And don't worry, if we don't pick your episode, we are adding them to a list to follow up on at a later time, so, and we'll probably give you a shout out if it is your episode that Absolutely. we pick. Absolutely. We really do appreciate your suggestions so far, because they've been really good. Yes. Yeah, they're awesome. But uh, yeah, let's uh, get this terrible party started. Are you ready? Yep, let's give her. Today we are continuing our conversation about Luis Garavito, a man who was charged for the murders of over 100 young boys and may be responsible for as many as 400 murders, a number that has landed him the title of one of the worst serial killers of all time. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then make sure you go do that first. We have so much to cover today. Seriously, there is a ton, but before we get to all of that, we're just going to give you a little quick rundown on the life of Luis Garavito so far. It's pretty difficult to pinpoint exactly exactly where things went wrong for Luis Garavito. To say that his childhood was rough would be an understatement. Yeah, things were pretty awful almost from day one. Around the time that Luis was born, a lot of civil unrest began to take place in Colombia. Along with that, the relationship between his parents was an incredibly abusive one. This meant that there was violence not only in the Garavito home, but really all around them. Luis was one of seven siblings, and they all went through a lot of cruelty and neglect at the hands of their parents, especially their father, Manuel Antonio Garavito. From a very early age, Luis was subject to violent beatings from his father, who was an alcoholic that regularly abused his wife and children. And his father wasn't the only one making his life a living hell. Luis was terribly bullied in school due to his small stature and his shy nature. He quickly developed a resentment towards his father and towards other people who had hurt him. Along with being bullied and beaten at school by both his fellow students and his teachers, Luis was also the victim of numerous sexual assaults from the people around him. He was forced to leave school at the age of 11 so he could start to bring in money for the family. And it wasn't long until Luis began to assault the people around him too. He quickly became known as an aggressor and someone that had a lot of anger that he wanted to take out on the world. His family relocated to another community, but it didn't really help things. And honestly, I mean, at the end of the day, they probably could have moved to the other side of the world sure. and it wouldn't have made a difference considering the things that were happening to him within the home. Like living with a father like that certainly wasn't going to make things better for anybody. It was around this time that Luis began to experience issues with arousal. He had had relationships with women, but he would have issues with erectile dysfunction, and the majority of the time he would be unable to be intimate with a woman if he was sober. And sober is something that Luis Garavito was not. 
By this point, he was just a teenager, but he had already discovered alcohol. And not like the normal teenage alcohol experimentation I think the majority of people go through. Louis was a full-blown alcoholic. This is something he was going to struggle with for the majority of his teen years and adult life. And of course, the alcohol didn't bring out the best side of Louis Garavito. He was an incredibly angry and violent drunk who would hurt anyone he wanted to at the drop of a hat. And the scary thing about him is that when he wasn't drunk and angry, he was a reasonably friendly guy. He had female friends, and a lot of them had children that he was really kind to. We touched on this a little bit last week, but this really shows just how manipulative he was. The children that became his victims were more often than not kids who either didn't have parents or whose parents were not overly concerned with them. He knew which kids he could get away with victimizing and which ones he couldn't. We really see this a lot as he gets older and figures out what he's doing. And it sounds terrible, but look at his victim count. Like he clearly knew how to manipulate people and give them that false sense of ease until there was no need for it anymore. And then the monster would come out. It's really that kind of like Jekyll and Hyde cliche, isn't it? I mean, on one side, he's literally assaulting the majority of people that cross his path. And on the other, he's just a guy that you trust around your kids. Like horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Eventually, his father had had enough of his alcoholism and the things he was doing, and Louise left home at the age of 16. He had various jobs throughout his late teens and early 20s, but they would never be something that would last long. Louise wasn't the kind of guy you would want to work with. He would often argue with his co-workers, and the arguments would often escalate into physical fights. By the time Louise Garavito hit his 20s, he had already been out on his own for quite a while. He was having a hard time coping with the abuse from his childhood, and because of this, his alcoholism got even worse which only meant that his violent tendencies got worse. And we want to clarify the same thing we did in part one. At this point, he hasn't killed anyone, but he has already ruined countless lives with the abuse that he's inflicted. In 1978, Luis found himself in Alcoholics Anonymous, in a relationship with an ex-girlfriend of his, and also attending church regularly. And he was one of those over-the-top churchgoers. He would scream, cry, and beat his chest while he was praying. Things seemed to be going well until he lost another job due to his temper. And this is when his suicide attempt happens, which brings us right around to where we left off, Louise Garavito in the 1980s. At this point, he has already had countless sexual assault victims. He is violent and often out of control, but he also has this other side to him that allows him to earn the trust of many people. An absolutely terrible combination, and all this along with all of the trauma he's endured was really the icing on top of of the horrible serial killer cake that is Louise Garavito. The worst cake ever. It's incredibly clear that Luis was in a lot of pain at this point and was at least somewhat trying to seek help. But something that we want to point out again that we talked about last week is that it seems as if the majority of the pain he's feeling was in regards to the things that had happened to him and not in regards to what he was doing to others. And again, it is possible to go through terrible things in life and not come out a terrible person. In fact, a lot of people go through a lot of horrific things without doing anything remotely close to the things Louise was doing, never mind the murders. He was also not being truthful with his therapist about the things he had been through as a child and the severity of mental illness that he was experiencing. This would prove to be a huge mistake. He eventually began to integrate himself back into his regular life and got a job at a supermarket. It was also around this time that Louise started seeing a woman named Claudia, who was a single mother. The two actually seemed to get along alright for the most part, 
But the relationship didn't last long because he would not give her the life that she wanted. She wanted some of the finer things in life, and Louise was not a finer things in life kind of guy. It's noted that he enjoyed her company, and even said she was the first woman that he really liked spending time with. However, the two did not have sex. And it isn't really noted why, but I mean, I think we can all guess totally. what was going on mm-hmm. there, yeah. He was still working at the supermarket at this point, and he actually seemed to enjoy the job. One of the things he liked about the job was that twice a week, he would be given a two-hour-long lunch break, which is like... Can you I, imagine? I, I know lots of people that work in supermarkets and grocery stores, and they don't get two-hour lunch breaks. Like, right? That's like a... I mean, especially like a job at a grocery store giving you a break like that. They were just trying to be good employers. And honestly. Look at what did. Way to go, Louise. Yeah, way to go. He would leave work for his break, and he would just find children in nearby areas that he would sexually assault. It wasn't long until the assaults began to escalate, and soon enough, Louise was using a lot of the same methods to torture these children that had been used on him. Something that gets talked a lot about with serial killers is the concept of escalation. First, he was assaulting the kids, which is terrible enough as it is, but now he's actively torturing them, and the scary thing about it was how much he realized that he liked it. At this point, it's only a matter of time before he takes it too far and kills someone. Something that we'll see with him is that he basically found victims wherever he went. If Luis Garavito spent a portion of time in an area, chances are he found children to assault there. And later, investigators would see that they could pinpoint the areas that he lived in by looking at the increase of assaults that would happen in that area during the time. Anywhere he lived, sexual assault cases would increase dramatically. And this is where he starts to really lose it. It's honestly, it's interesting how this like starts as bad as it does and it builds up worse and worse and then he just like snaps and then everything snowballs even more. I mean, he knows he's suffered throughout his life and he's aware that he's causing others to suffer, but he can't stop himself. Or he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. He started keeping the names of the children that he was sexually assaulting in a book. He would write them all down and he would go out of his way to pray for them every single night. So twisted. Like, oh, he's causing all this immense damage just to make himself feel better by praying for his victims after the violence that he's caused. He is a true psychopath. All he cared about was his pain and his own redemption. And if that doesn't sound bad enough to you guys, he began to pace around naked, all while beating his chest, reading from the Bible. He would go from crying to laughter without much warning and was desperately trying to find something that would explain to him why he was the way he was but that answer never came. He began having terrible nightmares about the children that he was hurting. He would wake up covered in sweat and crying, but it would quickly turn to laughter and joy when he remembered how much pleasure he got from hurting others. And to me, that's just like legitimately oh horrifying. So gross. Like it's something that you like picture out of like a psychological thriller that you'd watch and you'd think that it's a little bit totally. much. Like Hitchcock couldn't write this Exactly, guy, like... exactly. And honestly, it just gets worse from here. Going to church often was clearly not doing anything for him in regards to inspiring him to make better choices or anything like that. He actually eventually discovered Satanism and developed an interest in tarot reading in the occult. That took a twist, didn't it? Right? He eventually discovered the book Mein Kampf and he began to idolize another horrible mustachioed man, Hitler. He saw a lot of himself in Hitler during his early years. And if you remember back to episode one when we said there's a lot of evil mustachioed men out there, I bet you all of you thought about Hitler. I bet you did. And you, I bet you didn't think it was going to come back in the story. And here we are, friends. And I think that just proves my point about mustaches. So it's I'll just so leave that there with true. you. And if that isn't bad enough, he soon developed an obsession with the idea of mass graves. This is something that we're going to see a lot from him later. 
During early 1984, Louise would spend 33 days in another psychiatric facility due to another mental breakdown. He was placed on a heavy dose of antipsychotic meds. He was given a pass to leave and fled to a nearby town. When he got there, he immediately found two victims. He lured them to a private area where he bound and tortured them. Again, it's like he shows up there and the first thing he does is look for victims. He enjoyed the torture aspect so much that he soon began carrying torture tools with him. He would prepare plastic bags full of scalpels, candles, and other terrible things that he would later use on his victims. At this point, he sexually assaulted more than a hundred children. And I want you guys to understand the gravity of that. Like, picture oh. yourself in a room like, with a hundred people. I mean, for example, like, there were 140 kids in my high school. Like, that is, oh my god. It's disgusting. That, that is all, like, that is so many people. And he clearly can't help himself. He keeps getting admitted into these places for help, but it's doing absolutely nothing for him. He's getting worse and his behavior is escalating. He is getting more and more violent. And the horrifying thing is, is he's really realizing how much he likes it now. The gross thing is he's getting extreme sexual pleasure from this. And I think once you get to the point where it takes something like that to get you going, there's really no going back from that. And it took him no time at all to find the victims when he got out. It really was basically like the first thing that he did. And he's basically never gotten in any trouble for this. There has been no real consequences at all up to this point. But there were consequences for some things, I guess, because he did get into a little bit of trouble around this time for stealing from a friend of his. And it wasn't even like he stole a lot. He just got reported for it. Uh, he was free to inflict more pain and suffering very soon after that. In 1986, a terrible mass shooting occurred in Colombia that was done by Campo Elias Delgado Morales. He shot 32 people, killing 20 of them over the course of one day. And Luis absolutely loved the idea of this. He began to fantasize about what it would be like to get a machine gun and kill his father for everything he had done to him. This eventually turned into him fantasizing about killing his entire family and then himself. And if that's not wild enough, it's about to get real wild. So something that we see with some serial killers, Louise included, is that they really don't have too difficult of a time finding girlfriends. I mean, look at Pee Wee Gaskins and all of his marriages and families. He had absolutely no issue finding women and he was an absolute dumpster fire of a human being. Louise met this lady that lived right by the psychiatric center he was committed to. Her name was Graciela Zabaleta, another single woman with children. And he walked up to her and was basically like, Hello, I'm Luis. I think you should be my girlfriend. And you guys, it fucking worked. And she let him move in almost immediately. Again, she was another woman with kids. We just want to point that out. She said she was fine with him living with her as long as he helped with the bills and cooking. He would stay with her for a few days out of the week and sent almost all of his savings to her on a regular basis to help her and her children out. He would refer to them as his family. He even had a few people he considered friends in his life around this time. Graciela had a teenage son and said Louise would shower him and the rest of the family with love and affection on a regular basis. He said he wanted them to have all of the things that he didn't have growing up. And he would actually constantly warn her teenage son about all of the dangers that were out there and he always told him to be careful when he went out. So like imagine sitting there being lectured about all of the potentially evil people that could be out there not knowing that you have one of the most dangerous people in the country right in front of you. Like, it, uh, honestly, like, ugh. I don't even want to think about, like, when Graciela read the news or saw on TV or the radio and was like, Luis Garavito is 
on trial. Yeah, yeah. And, and oh I mean, also, God. like, it's it says so much about him because he is, first things first, a giant hypocrite. Oh, undoubtedly. He's a liar. He is manipulative. And this kind of just shows, like, how completely out of touch he is. Yeah. I mean, he we talk about him not being able to help himself, but he can clearly switch it on and off when it's in an environment that he's either ready for or not ready for. So, like, ugh. It's that Jekyll and Hyde thing again. He totally. really does have those two sides. And honestly, like it always did, Louise's drinking quickly became a problem, and Graciela was still incredibly hesitant about the overly kind and loving new man in her life. She had a feeling that something else could be going on. And that's why you have to trust your gut, people. Like, ugh. Learn about what love bombing is. Right? And take that into consideration, because this kind of thing, like, it's obviously, I mean hindsight is a thing and whatnot. I'd like, like to think ugh. that I listen to too many true crime podcasts to fall for something like this, but I've also been in a relationship with the same person for 13 years, so, like, if I had to date again, would I fall for it? Maybe. There's serial killers like, out there, right? Ooh. Like, oh my god. Honestly, though, like, I think even in her absolute worst nightmares, she couldn't have known what it was no. what was really going on. You, you don't want to think that about someone that you've allowed into your home around your children. Yeah, exactly. One day, his friends saw him drunk and out with some of the less fortunate kids that lived in the area. And it wasn't like they became suspicious and thought to themselves, like, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't be friends with this guy or maybe we should report him to someone. No, they kind of just, like, pretended it didn't happen and they never brought it up. Great. Awesome. Good friends. Yeah, good job, Well done, guys. guys. Other than that... No one had a clue about the fact that his sexual assault victim count was now in the triple digits. Not even any of the women he had dated, including Graciela and Luz Marie. And to recap, at this point, he has sexually assaulted somewhere over 200 children. He has been at various psychiatric centers for a total of about five years, and he's attempted to take his life numerous times. And I know we keep saying this, but if things weren't bad enough already, they're about to get substantially worse. And we do keep saying it. And the fun thing is, it is going to keep getting worse. It keeps getting worse. Like, this is like... Because, guys, he hasn't killed anyone yet. No, no. Look at how far we've come and everything we know about him. And he hasn't killed anyone yet. But that's going to ramp up real quick here. So now we find ourselves in the 1990s. It's around this time that Louise alleges he was able to communicate with the devil using a Ouija board. And I'm just going to chime in here for a second. Whether or not you believe in them... Can we all just agree not to use Ouija boards? I, right? Like, like just oh, don't. Man. Okay, so I actually, I used to use them a lot. I'll admit to that. <laughs> My mom taught me how to make them when I was really, really young. Uh. Like, late elementary, early junior high years. Oh, Lord, no. Yeah, we would use them on sleepovers and stuff. And uh, looking back, I'm like, Mom, what the fuck? <laughs> I've never used one. Honestly, I'm good with keeping it that way because in my head, I refuse to be that ditzy white girl in the horror movie that's like, oh my god, it's not even real. Let's play anyway. And then she's the one that gets like sucked back into hell through a closet. And then there's me where I'm like, I, I will construct the VG board from paper yeah. and I will summon Mom, everyone. have we got pizza box? <laughs> <laughs> no pizza for you. Only oh, devil. Man. Yeah, no, guys, let's not mess with the other side. That is I, our that's our lesson for the day. Right? Like I've seen Princess and the Frog. I don't care who got friends on the other side. I don't want them on this side. No, ma'am. He claims that he entered a state of psychosis and that the devil asked him if he would serve him. Luis responded that he would, and the devil responded, "Kill. That with killing many things will come." And this is when he would attempt to commit his first murder. 
October 1st, 1992, Louise was drunk and wandering the streets. He found a young boy who was working as a street vendor and attempted to lure him somewhere private where he could assault him. But before he could do that, Louise was interrupted by the police. The police did not press charges, but they detained him and they beat the absolute crap out of him. They hit him in the head with their gun and they stole all of the money that he had on him was was actually a fair bit, as well as his watch and a ring he was wearing and then they just let him go. I'll call it what it is. They beat the absolute crap out of him, stole his stuff, and they just made him even more angry. Cause that's what the world needs, an even angrier Luis Garavito. On October 4th, 1992, only three days after the failed murder attempt, Luis would attempt to take another life. This time, he would succeed. By this point, we have a pretty good idea of his victim type. Young kids, usually boys of a poor background, that would be likely to go with him if he offered them food or toys or a job. He preferred boys with light-colored eyes and a lighter complexion. Almost each of his murders that we know about happened in the same way. He would lure the child to a secluded area, and then he would strike. He was drinking in a bar when he first saw Juan Carlos. He got up and followed him into an alley down the street. He purchased a butcher knife and some rope from a vendor while he was following him and eventually tried to lure Juan Carlos into a secluded area. He said that the moonlight invoked a strange force within him that reminded him of all of the angry feelings he had as a child and that made him want to kill the boy. He eventually approached Juan Carlos and offered him work for about a thousand pesos. Juan agreed and left the crowded area to a more secluded spot. Louise led him to a spot near some railroad tracks. We don't know the full extent of the murder or what exactly happened, but we can probably guess pretty accurately based on what we already know. What we do know for sure is that when police found his body, his front teeth were all knocked out and his genitals had been cut off and were missing. He also had severe cuts around other parts of his body as well as his throat. Louise stayed with him until sunrise and claims that he began uncontrollably sobbing when he saw the blood stains on his clothes. Probably just worried that it was evidence he was going to get caught. Oh yeah, he, was, he probably like, was there and then realized it was daytime and then he was upset that he was going to be in trouble. Honestly. Just six days later, Louise killed another boy. He decided to go to Tolua to visit his sister. On his way there, he began to feel the urge to find another victim. He attempted to get rid of these feelings by drinking a huge amount of brandy. Surprise, surprise didn't work. He just got drunk. And by now we know that when Luis Garavito got drunk, he got angry. He began to break things around him in an angry drunken rage after a child passed by him. Shortly after, he found 12-year-old John Alexander Peñaranda and murdered him. Luis eventually moved to his own place in Bogota, where he became known as a friendly man who loved children and showered them with generosity. The locals knew him as Goofy after the Disney character. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I hate it. I hate it so much. They would even help him out sometimes by storing things for him. Little did they know that some of the items they were storing and were records that Louise was keeping of his crimes. It was around this time that he took an unknown amount of lives. Again, there is a lot that we don't know about him. Something that we do know is that during this time, he began to collect trophies from his victims. He would sever their toes and keep them in a bag. Like, that's... Very cliched. Isn't that horrifying? That's just like he like read a book about like scary things people do and was like, I will do them all. Pretty much. And we talked about this in part one, but he was very particular about who he chose as a victim. He wanted to choose children who, for lack of a better word, wouldn't be missed. Those without families, homes, or anyone to protect them. He went after arguably the most vulnerable people in society. Those are people who are often seen as, quote unquote, the less dead. And what that means is people who 
who are A, not going to be looked for necessarily. It's not going to cause a stir. If you went around killing, like, the children of, like, politicians or business for owners sure. and it's things like that. For sure. It's people who society has basically looked down upon as less worthy of life, more or less. So, like, typically this would be people like sex workers, unfortunately, and homeless people. like Orphans. Um, exactly. You see a lot of serial killers going after these people because they're not noticed when it's, they go missing. Yeah, it's not going to draw the attention of the police if, you know, unfortunately, if a bunch of little orphan boys go missing. And but it's, it's yeah. yeah, it sucks, yes, but that's just fact. And he used that to his advantage. I'm sure at this point, a lot of you are asking how so many children actually trusted him. But by this point, he's been doing this for so long. He'd use a similar strategy just about every time. He'd find a child, usually an orphan, and he would approach him. Once he started chatting with the child, he would offer either employment, money, gifts, just about anything he could to get them with him. The kids that he victimized usually had absolutely nothing. They never had a reason not to trust him. He looked like a trustworthy character. He would also use a variety of disguises, and he would dress up as either a priest, a farmer, or a business owner. And he'd go as far as to switch out his disguises on a regular basis to avoid suspicion. It was said by some that he would never look exactly the same twice. And again, he's a pretty small dude, not exactly a big scary guy. Once he earned the boys' trust, he would lure them away to somewhere private. He would chat with the boys about their history, their families, and anything to give them a false sense of security and make it seem like he was just a helpful man who wanted to know more about them. Oftentimes, he would walk them far away enough that the child would begin to get tired. This entire time, Louise would be drinking. Once the child appeared tired enough, he would attack. And these were absolutely horrific murders. He went out of his way to make sure that his victims suffered the absolute most that they could, and he would sometimes even incorporate satanic rituals into the murders, calling the children blood sacrifices. And we're not going into the full details of the murders due to the graphic, the absolute graphic amount of torture that these poor kids endured at the hands of this fucking monster. But he would torture them for hours in more ways than we can count. It's really bad. We aren't going to get into all of it. Like, trust me, your brain does not need that kind of information residing in it. Trust, and, trust yeah, in this one. Yeah, we, we thought about it and we even, like, for a little bit we were going to include a couple of just kind of, like, snippets so you can get the idea. I just want you to, like, picture the worst thing you can and it's probably ten times worse than that. That's all yeah, I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not a wilting daisy by any means, but, like, some of the shit had my jaw on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty dead inside when it comes to this kind of stuff. Same. And I was reading this and I was just like, I need a teddy bear, a glass of wine. And, and some like, eye bleach. Yeah, exactly. This part is pretty gross, but um, Luis would not usually climax until after the victim was decapitated. Usually while they were still alive and he would often have sex with their dead bodies. And normally we really do our best to talk about the victims of these killers. It's so important to share their names and their stories. Not just the stories of the killers. However, in the case of Louise Garavito, that's impossible to do. Like we mentioned before, we know the names of a few victims and even some survivors, but a lot of the children that he murdered, they were never identified or even connected to him. This again was for a variety of reasons. The murder rate at the time was quite high and a lot of the killings were blamed on the cartel or the civil unrest that was happening in the country at the time. A lot of these kids also didn't have anyone in their life to even notice that they went missing. Many of them were not looked for until after Luis Garavito was caught. A few months after Luis killed the 12-year-old boy, he moved to Bogota and killed eight more children. He killed Henry Giovanni Garcia, Marco Aurelio Castiano, Juan David Cardenas, 
Jaime Orlando Papian, and three more unidentified children in the southeastern part of Bogota. He murdered another two children, and then he traveled to various towns where he killed countless more children. We tend to see this a lot with serial killers who have a higher victim count. They go through these huge periods of rage where they kill a lot of people and then cool off for a little bit until they pick back up again even worse than before. And this is exactly what was happening with Louise. He would stop pretty often, but it wouldn't take him too long to start killing again. Sometimes if the victim fought back too much, he would take a break before killing. He killed a 13-year-old child named Maurizio Mondero Meya and would not be active again until 1994. Luis Garavito met a 12-year-old child from Bogota, and by that we mean he found a poor defenseless child who was asleep on the bus. He woke him up and offered him some brandy. The two ended up leaving and going to a secluded area. Louise began to tie up the boy, but became distracted by a horrible smell. They had stumbled upon a mass grave. This obviously distracted Louise, which gave the boy the opportunity to grab his knife. The boy cut Louise so badly that he severed some of the tendons in his hand. This, however, was not enough, and Louise overpowered the boy and murdered him. On February 4th, 1994, Louise was kicked out of a restaurant for complaining about the food. And, of course, on top of all of this, Luis Garavito is a Karen. He has no right to complain about literally anything. No, absolutely not. Shortly after, he met Jaime Andreas Gonzalez, a 13-year-old boy. He led him to a sugarcane field where he killed him. He entered a state of psychosis after he saw that there was a crucifix nearby. He buried his knife and he prayed for forgiveness. Then he dug his knife back up again and then prayed some more. He made his way back to a hotel room that he was staying at, and he spent the rest of his night chanting scripture. He also kept numerous notebooks with the names and descriptions of many of his victims. He would later take other trophies along with the severed toes and keep them in bags that he would hide at his girlfriend's houses. If your partner asks you if they can store something in your house, but they're like, don't look at it, for sure, you should be calling the police. Look at it. Like... Look at it. It might be... Maybe it's his, like, collection of... Strange Japanese hentai that he's ashamed of. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll know. Or maybe it's fucking toes. Like, oh my lord. I don't... That is... I think of, like... When I think of serial killers taking trophies, often Ed Gein comes to mind with yeah. his fun little nipple belts, which is, like not a sentence that you want to say out loud, but, like, a bag of toes. Blah. It's not, because I I hate feet. Fair enough. I'm going to say I do not like feet, and I just picture, like, a bag of decaying severed toes, Mm -mm. and, like, Mm -mm. you know you you have to hate feet for that. That's just bad. Although there is that, um, there's that one bar up in Alaska where you can take the shot with the frostbitten toe in it. Did you know about that? We need to do that. Uh, No, but you can. I'm going to do that when I see Letta. It'll be a round trip. I'll go to Alaska. (laughs) I'll go to Florida. I'll go to Australia. My parents parents have been to the the bar. They they didn't do it, but yeah, they saw it. A frostbitten human toe? Yeah, it fell off. And then it's like the tradition. You like pay to do like a shot of vodka or whatever with the toe in it. It's the one toe. It's a singular toe. Yeah, it's a singular frostbitten big toe. Do we know whose toe it is? Um, the name, I want to say the guy's name is Sam. Sam's toe. Yeah. Does he get a portion of the proceeds? I don't know if Sam is still alive. Yeah. So uh, if you guys are from Alaska or you've been up there and done it, 
please uh, correct us. Um, but I'm pretty sure. And if it if it isn't Sam's toe now, Sam's toe is another toe that you can touch. Is it fucked up that I would do it? I think. Well, people do. So I mean, it might be fucked up, but it's not that unusual. <laughs> I, I didn't expect to hear about frostbitten. See, you learn something new with us every single episode, and you guys. We bring it yeah, to you. God knows I am full of absolutely useless information. That was useful. I've learned something new about myself <laughs> that I would drink a shot oh, with a toe man. in it. Yeah, but not not like in a Louise Garavito kind of way. I will say, a toe that was willfully removed? Yes, yeah. Sure. so yeah, when okay. the guy gave it, consensual he, yeah, he consensually yeah. gave his frostbitten toe that fell off. Yeah. Huh. So there you go. Fun fact, everyone. If you didn't know, now you do. All right. Back to Louise Garavito. Back to Louise. So where were we? Um, The police were somewhat suspicious of him by this time as well, but had absolutely no clue of the extent of his crimes. Does the toe affect the flavor of the vodka? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to think about it, honestly. I hope... they. I think they keep it frozen. I think I just like want to think cube. about anything but Luis Garavito, so I'm just like, tell me about these toes. We'll, we'll look it up after. I'll show you. So he was questioned a few times by the police in regards to various missing children's cases, but it was always thrown out. If he was seen with the boy in question, he would state that he left him alone, and if he wasn't, then he would just claim that he had no clue what they were talking about. Sometimes he would accuse the police of profiling him because of his limp. Either way, it worked, and each time he was let go. So he's gone from, officer, I'm innocent, I was just lightly molesting this boy, like we said in part one, to, (laughs) you're only saying I did this because of my limp. But the scary thing is, is there's quite a few occasions where he was let go, and the mutilated body of the missing child would be found, like, shortly after. Oh my god. They, uh, so they almost had him so many times, but each time he came close to getting caught, he would just leave town and he'd go somewhere else. But between the years of 1992 and 1999, Louise killed somewhere around 200 children. So here's the thing about that. So let's just say the number's 200 just for argument's sake. Make yeah. it simple. Yeah. So he had 200 bodies that he had to get rid of. So remember how before we mentioned that he has an obsession with the Holocaust, specifically the mass graves? Now he's beginning to make his own. He would often take the children to the same spot until he had filled a mass grave up and then had to move to another location. And that is what made the discovery of the bodies, which we will get into next week, even more horrifying. My god, that was a rough one. Yeah, we all knew it was going to be. Oh, we warned you. Yeah. We did, we warned you. Uh, Mothman episode, after this, listen to it, highly recommend it, it's good for your health. Uh, In part three, we're going to be covering the investigation that led to the arrest of Luis Garavito and the public response to his shocking crimes. We're also going to cover what old Luis is up to today and the horrible reality that we could see him back out on the streets as soon as 2023. We're going to get into all of that and more. And just like the Mothman episode, we are still accepting palate cleanser suggestions, so keep, keep bringing those in. We're also working on a series where we want to talk to you guys about your paranormal experiences and we would love to hear your stories. If you'd like your story to be read out on the podcast, please send it to us at thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear it. Subject line, the ghost with the most. You betcha. Make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at thegrimcurriculum and grimcurriculum on Twitter. You can also find us on social media. I am ominous underscore walrus on Twitter and ominous walrus on Instagram. And I'm 
I'm Dina V on Twitch, Dina V Tweets on Twitter, and Dina V IG on Instagram. Join us every Saturday for a new episode. We also do a live premiere on YouTube at 12 p.m. MST, so come hang out with us and discuss the case in real time. Thanks for listening. This has been The, the Grim, Grim Curriculum. Curriculum.